Welcome to the Legends of Oral Regeneration by the Osteology Foundation. One host, one guest, and a whole bunch of experience and expertise. Meet the people behind the names and get unique insights. Dear Mariano, dear ladies and gentlemen, I would like to welcome you to the Legends of Oral Regeneration. This is a new podcast format from the Osteology Foundation. Today we have really a very special day and I'm very honored and thrilled to introduce you to a true legend. Mariano Sanz is 62 years old. He is a person which has dedicated his life and his heart to periodontology. He became in 1989 the chairman of the Department of Periodontology at the Universidad Compundente de Madrid. This could go a little bit in a, in, a, in a more Spanish way. And he's one of the founder of the Osteology Foundation and was also a president of the Osteology Foundation until the year 2020. Personally, Mariano Sanz is one of the persons which have influenced me in the most significant way. He has also kind of contributed significantly to my career, to my passion to dentistry by really always being so supportive in a friendly, but also in a personal way. My name is Ronald Young. I'm from the University of Zurich. I'm trained as a oral surgeon and as a prosthodontist, and I'm currently the uh, head of the implant department at the Clinic of Reconstructive Dentistry at the University of Zurich. And today I have the true pleasure to have this podcast together with Mariano. Mariano, how do you feel being now in the center of such a podcast? Oh, I feel a little nervous, but at the same time, I feel great. And I'm very happy that uh, you, Ronnie, are the interviewer, uh, because I'm sure that I will run very smoothly. And of course, the, I don't feel a legend uh, at all. Uh, but uh, on the other side, uh, I feel extremely satisfied uh, to be in this position of uh, trying to basically tell my story to stimulate uh, youngsters and to stimulate other people that are uh, developing a, an academic and scientific career. Thank you very much. This is actually the overall aim of today's broadcast is really kind of to go in the direction of aspects which we didn't know about the personalities like Mariano Sons and at the end of the day to share our passion. I think we both have very much for dentistry and periodontology in particular and to have at the end a lot of enthusiastic young dentists going their way and finding really their way to really go to work on a daily basis with a happy and uh, with, a, with a smile on your face. But I'm, I'm, I admire a lot what you have done Mariano but looking at your personality I would have been sure that you would have been also an excellent person in other, in other working areas. And I would like to ask you, when you wouldn't have become now a dentist or a professor for periodontology, what would Mariano be today? What, what kind of profession was also crossing your mind before you went that path of dentistry? 
Well, I actually became a dentist uh, almost by accident because my idea from the beginning was to be a, a, a medical doctor, a surgeon, and I, I actually did my medical career. Uh, actually, I started in uh, 1975. Uh, and you have to think, Ronnie, you place yourself in time. That in Madrid, where I studied, uh, Franco, the dictator, died in November 1975. It was exactly the same year I started my university years. Uh, so at that time, uh, it was uh, really fun to be in a university in Spain. Sometimes you had to run a lot with the police behind, but it was a lot of fun because of the transition from a dictatorship to a democracy. So we had a, a great experience uh, in the medical school. We learned a lot. Uh, and when I was about to finish, uh, I told my father, who at that time was the, the chairman of the Department of Prostodontics at our university in Madrid, that I didn't want to be a dentist. And, and he almost shocked. Uh, but that was what I wanted to, to, to be. But then suddenly, and that, those are the, the, the sometimes the moments of life, uh, I, I got a position to, to become a, a maxillofacial uh, surgeon, which in Spain is part of medicine. Uh, but uh, there was a lag of six months between the entrance to the hospital uh, and uh, the, the, the entrance to the School of Stomatology. That was the place where you would become a, a dentist. Uh, and my father asked me, give me a chance. Uh, he sent me with a friend of his to United States, to UCLA. And I stayed there three months with uh, Mike Newman, and he really changed my life. Uh, he showed me that uh, uh, modern dentistry, which at that time was in, in Los Angeles, was not at all in Spain. Uh, modern dentistry was much more than... Uh, removable prosthodontics and, and uh, amalgam restorations. Uh, and that really uh, changed my view of what I could do. And I moved into stomatology and uh, became a dentist. Uh, uh, so in that sense, if I had not done these three months in LA, probably I would be a good uh, medical doctor. That, that motivates me because my kids also uh, doesn't want to become dentists, but they still hope uh, till the very last part <laughs> that they couldn't go because nobody wants to work as much as daddy does. So but <laughs> you made me really happy by saying this. <laughs> and then now I understand why you went now into dentistry. And got now also a little bit better understanding that your father was already in academics. But in dentistry, it's always kind of a choice where you say, listen, I would like to dedicate me as a person, as a dentist, to just the patients and, and trying to get, uh, make a, a great clinic uh, somewhere in Spain, uh, uh, being really at the forefront of, of, of treating, or by saying, no, listen, I would like to, to go more into an academic environment, in the university environment, where I, I'm not maybe as much as a forefront there, but I can can prepare maybe treatments which have a much bigger impact than on the, uh, on the global uh, dental health care than just treating patients. There, I would like to better understand 
how did you make the decision to go into an academic environment instead of really a nice clinic? Well, uh, as I said before, I was born in an academic environment, so to say. Uh, and uh, from the beginning, I was uh, very involved uh, in the university, even in the, in the medical school. Uh, actually, I was uh, already involved uh, in, in research. Uh, and I had a lot of, uh, you know, I, as you can imagine, in those times, I, I was not very uh, fond of being close to my father. I wanted to be free. Uh, and, uh, and therefore, I became a, an English uh, teacher. And I was doing a, a lot of simultaneous translation for medical congresses. Uh, and actually, some of my medical doctor professors were my students in English at that time. So through those relationships, uh, I became uh, very well introduced in science uh, and in, in scientific uh, advancements through these medical congresses. And later was uh, natural. Uh, those three months in uh, Los Angeles at UCLA, where I was mostly involved in research, uh, basically changed my life because soon I was uh, starting my PhD which was directly tutor from Los Angeles. And then I became a PhD doctor. And, uh, and then I got a grant to go to uh, train in higher education in UCLA. And, and that was natural that I was going to be all my life in, in an academic environment. So uh, I can see that this is the, the, the uh the time in the, in the US, but also kind of translation were important stimuli to go in this direction. I think that's, we can already say this is kind of a take home message because I see often also in, in countries like Asian countries, the ones which really translated also during uh, the, the Congresses, they often become then more important person. I think that's a really a good, a good start, I would say. On the one hand in the language, but also get to know then the speakers which uh, come to the Congresses. In the industry, when you now look back at the, at your university career, which kind of you already mentioned the mentors from the UCLA, but which kind of person really influenced you most in your academic career? Which person you think uh, have learned? Not even just it doesn't have to be just on a on a scientific level, but also personally, which have influenced you most and have served as a kind of role model uh, how you would like to be then in the in the future. Well, indeed, um, of course, many people have influence, but if I have to single out, I would single out uh, uh, four people, uh, basically two during my high training education at UCLA. One I already mentioned, Mike Newman, who really uh, taught me how to do research and how to, to speak in public, how to communicate, how to uh, mingle with people interested in this uh, environment. And also I learned from uh, Henry Takei uh, the importance of clinical excellence, the importance of uh, really not only thinking, not only studying, but also uh, performing, developing clinical skills and, and the praise for, for excellence that really needs to go hand in hand with your intellectual capabilities. Uh, and once I returned to Europe and I established myself as a university professor. I remember in 1989, exactly the same day, year I got the professorship. I was appointed uh, 
to be a, in the uh, organizing committee of a world workshop organized by the AAP. And the other European person in that committee was Jan Linde. So with this uh, uh, experience that I had with Jan, we became uh, very close. Since then, we have done lots of things together. And he has been probably the, uh, my real mentor, the way uh, I learned how he thinks, how he communicates, how, what are the important things in academic life. Uh, and that really permeated uh, uh, in my uh, mind structure. Also, and, and I have left it him for the last, but it's not the least at all, has been Klaus Lang. Uh, with Klaus, I have had a fantastic uh, uh, story doing many things together. I was part of his team when he was the chairman of the European workshops. Then I succeeded him in organizing the European workshops. And uh, in the last uh, 25 years, we have done many, many things together, always uh, learning uh, a lot from uh, Klaus and uh, his uh, statue as an academic leader is so high that I always have tried to mirror him and also Jan Linde. And this is why I need to recognize them as my, my real influencers. I think it's so important. These personalities, they, they, they help you so much in, in, and also open your mind and look at things in a different perspective. And uh, these four personalities are obviously first, which uh, also I admire a lot. And, uh, and also could at least the, the, the last two uh, profit a lot from them. And, uh, and I can yeah. totally feel what you, uh, what you feel when you, when you say this in such a nice way. So with every career, there are things which, which also kind of didn't work out the way you were thinking. What was kind of the most uncomfortable drawback, the most uh, uh, unsatisfying drawback, the most annoying drawback in, in, uh, in your uh, uh, academic career? Well, I think I have been very lucky in my academic career. I became professor very soon, and I have been in many administrative and uh, decision-making positions uh, all my life. Uh, probably like in any career, mostly uh, when you are young, uh, you feel terrible when you apply for a grant and it's turned down. You feel terrible when you submit your first paper and it's not accepted. You feel terrible when uh, you have high, high expectations on a research project. And when you do the statistics, nothing, nothing at all is significant. And at these moments, you feel extremely down. But with time, uh, you understand that those things are not very important, uh, but it becomes part of your education. And of course, as you grow older, things are more relative and, and you uh, see things uh, uh, in, in a more distant uh, manner. But uh, in, the, in the world of research, uh, you learn by making mistakes and you learn by... Uh, these uh, ups and downs that uh, happen. But I have been on the other side in terms of uh, academic positions uh, and in terms of uh, the academic ladder, uh, extremely uh, fortunate and successful. That's definitely true. I would like to go a little bit back now in the beginning of the career. 
but digging a little bit more into the topic of research. And what was actually the topic of your really first research? Do you remember that? Or, uh, uh, sure, sure, uh, absolutely. Uh, when uh, I remember very well uh, chlorhexidine, 0.12% was firstly approved in United States uh, 1986. And uh, I was part of that uh, research because uh, a, a big part of the clinical research uh, with uh, that chlorhexidine was done at UCLA under Mike Newman. So that's the topic, uh, 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 antimicrobials, antiseptics, uh, treatment of gingivitis. This is how I learned to do research. This is how I learned to do not only clinical trials, but also working in the lab, uh, uh, growing bacteria. At that time, we, we were using anaerobic culturing. And, and uh, I have great uh, remembrance of, uh, of the, the chlorhexidine uh, trials and the chlorhexidine uh, research line. Of course, now you would look at it as a very minor, but at that time, for me, it was a, a huge undertaking. Yeah, I understand, but this is... This is also today. I think uh, chlorhexidine yeah. became such a standard, and uh, we couldn't imagine a, a daily practice anymore without having uh, knowledge about the chlorhexidine. I think this was really that was definitely also a fantastic timing to to be able to start with uh, with such an important topic, which has influenced basically every discipline in the industry. When you go a little bit further and and talk about kind of the most significant study, I would like to look at it from two perspectives. Number one, I would like to hear what was for you personally, maybe the most significant research project and what was the, the research project which got the majority of attention in, uh, in dental community, in the, in, the, in the dental world, clinically and research-wise, because that it could be the same, but often I think, uh, 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 speaking our research, you have achieved something which makes you really very happy and proud on the other hand, sometimes little things become more uh, kind of uh, approachable or easier visible and are not maybe the, the, the big achievement. I would like to hear both of that. Well, of course, uh, I mean, as you know, uh, we have established a research group, which is rather large and has many different lines of research, from basic to clinical, from implant-related, period-related, uh, and everything in between. So it's difficult to identify one or the other. I was very proud uh, when uh, basically guided tissue regeneration uh, became uh, uh, important uh, in the treatment of uh, infrabony defects. Uh, and I was uh, part of the group that started uh, together with uh, Mauricio Tonetti and also on the other hand with uh, Raul Cafese uh, and uh, I participated in some of these early studies, which uh, were very significant uh, to what we know today about periodontal regeneration. On the other hand, uh, one of my most frustrated experiences, and at the same time, uh, uh, a great experience uh, from a learning side, has been the, uh, my experience in, in cell therapy applied to periodontal regeneration. Uh, I have been basically now uh, 10 years uh, trying to grow stem cells from the periodontal ligament and to apply them for uh, growing periodontal tissue. Uh, and uh, 
I have learned a lot. We have done lots of very good things in the lab, but the clinical application has been really frustrating. Uh, but these uh, things uh, are also very important uh, for your learning experience. Uh, so uh, the amount of effort, the amount of resources that we have put into this, to the results that we have got, uh, you can qualify as uh, frustrating. But on the other hand, I think uh, the, the experience has been worth it. That's true. That's true. It's, it's, it's always both at the end of the day. And, uh, and uh, standing up out of this frustrating part also makes it then even better. And, and, and this is what you also need to learn. I think this is also important for young generation. Not everything goes so smooth. Also in a, in a career yeah. like yours, uh, you had to uh, go through areas and, and topics which were frustrating. And you always stood up and say, listen, I have the, I have the goal still in front of me. But I haven't, I'm, I'm not yet totally satisfied about, for you, the most important study. What was it about? You said the GBR part, you said about then the, the cell therapy, but what was really something which you say, listen, and I'm alone at home, having a glass of red wine in front of me, thinking back of my scientific career. What would I tell my grandkids this was in a simple way, how would you explain what, what you have achieved there? Well, probably, Ronnie, the, the most uh, rewarding studies, also because of their difficulty, uh, have been some of the uh, periodontal medicine studies that I have uh, chaired, so to say. Because this area of periodontal medicine uh, has been in a way, very stimulating, but very difficult to fulfill uh, significant outcomes. Uh, so, for example, when we started with our uh, clinical trial on the treatment of periodontitis in a metabolic uh, syndrome patient, uh, we were very reluctant to understand what we would achieve. And, and the final outcome has been uh, uh, results that have uh, impressed uh, the uh, endocrinologists and the diabetologists uh, in, in the sense of uh, how much the glycated hemoglobin could be reduced uh, by a thorough periodontal uh, treatment. Uh, and in that sense, those studies and, and similarly, the study we have done on, on the arthritis, the rheumatoid arthritis by, uh, by uh, basically reducing uh, the uh, autoimmune antibodies by the periodontal therapy. Uh, these studies have been very stimulating and very rewarding. Also, because somehow we in the dental community have been and probably still are uh, a little, uh, in a way, accomplished uh, in front of the medical community, thinking that we are lesser or we are, uh, in a way, inferior. And uh, these studies really prove that uh, we can compete uh, at the highest level with, with, uh, with, with the medical community. I think that's, that's a very nice approach. And it also illustrates yeah. just the impact we can still have as, uh, as, as dentists yeah. in, in this medical environment. And I, truly be, I truly believe that this is really the, uh, this is a true milestone. Yeah. And what was maybe the funniest story you ever have uh, uh, experienced during all your... Uh, scientific clinical uh, uh, time there, things which, uh, which maybe didn't work out that well, but in a, in a, in a way that you afterwards you had to laugh so much, uh, what happened there, 
So it's just something which you, uh, which you could laugh about it now looking backwards. Well, one, uh, one story that it was very interesting how it started uh, and, and also had a very happy end uh, was, uh, I mean, going back to the beginning of the EFP, the European Federation of Periodontology, uh, which started in basically 202, uh, was more or less at the same time that Klaus Lang was starting to organize the European workshops. Actually, the first one was in 2003, was published in 2004. So Klaus Lang, together with uh, also Daniel van Steenberger and others, uh, set up this European Academy of Periodontology to organize the workshops. In, in other words, to have uh, an academic community in periodontology that will run the science and will basically develop the knowledge base of uh, periodontology. But of course, at the beginning, it was, uh, I would say, some friction between the EFP and the AAP. And, and basically, uh, the academy didn't want the EFP, the societies, to be involved at all. Uh, and I happened to be there in the middle. So I was able uh, to sort of uh, convince ones and others. Uh, and basically, some years later, uh, Klaus Lang became uh, the organizer of European workshops on behalf of the EFP. And at that path, which now you may think is logical, at that time was very uh, difficult, very difficult. And I had the, the great help of uh, Jan Linde, because Jan Linde, uh, under the curtains, always uh, supported this movement. But I, I had to be in the middle trying to sort it out. And, uh, and since then, I mean, Klaus Lang became uh, the real, real EFP ambassador for developing uh, the knowledge base of periodontology. Uh, so these are, uh, I remember with uh, great satisfaction, these times, but these times uh, were hard, uh, were tough at the, at the beginning. Now I also do understand where you got to know from the very beginning on your amazing, excellent ability to really being to bridge between individuals, to be in uh, institutions, organizations, <laughs> universities. I think this is really one of the, the, the characteristics which, which I really admire so much of you. You always find them the right way that nobody feels kind of bad or offended uh, and then still moving forward. I think this is really a, one of your unique abilities. We come slowly to the end of our, of our interview. And I think we have heard so many interesting aspects and already took some, uh, some really good practical tips. But let's focus now really on, on our young generation. They are now in a, they grew up in a different time as, as you did, as when we did, and uh, they're facing a lot of opportunities, but they're also facing challenges with the whole globalization as well. How would you advise them in order to really become not just a dentist, in order to become somebody which wants to move things forward and wants to, uh, to invest their life and their passion into research and, uh, and, and in, into improving oral health care on a, on a global scale? Well, what, what I see of the young generation now, 
uh, is that uh, they have excellent education, excellent background training, but many times before making an important decision for their careers, they want to be sure on the tangible outcomes that they will get. Uh, they want to know exactly what is going to happen uh, immediately after they make their decision. And also they want to be sure that there is a space, not only for work, but there is a space for uh, other important issues, uh, like uh, you know, uh, social work, uh, leisure, sports, traveling, whatever. And they normally do not compromise uh, on these uh, aspects. Uh, and, and this is fine, this is great, but uh, in my opinion, it's not enough for a, a brilliant career because I think that the, the young people, they need to be more, they need to risk more. They need to sow before they know what they are going to harvest. And they need to trust more in their qualities uh, in order to as invest for, for long term more than investing for very short uh, term. Because uh, I know, and I'm sure Ronnie, you know, many brilliant uh, people that uh, for not making the appropriate decisions, uh, then uh, they feel a, a little bit frustrated. Uh, and in that sense, uh, I always tell uh, my students that if they trust in excellence and high quality training, uh, the opportunities will come. The opportunities will uh, happen uh, one day or another. But if you don't invest in long term, uh, then uh, sometimes the train passes away and uh, you miss the station. I think that's a very, very important uh, uh, part. So uh, I, I, I like that a lot because that's what I really can see at the moment by, by what you said also, that they always want to know what's the outcome of it. And I think sometimes in life, this is, can be also sport, whatever, you should just follow your passion and follow uh, what, you, what you like to and have the kind of the trust that it will come when you, because when you follow your passion and when you're a good hearted person, it will always turn into something good. And uh, not knowing the outcome at the end of the day. Yeah. I think that, that, was a great, that was a great kind of conclusion. And now the very last question, how do you feel Mariana after such a, yes, a special podcast of the Osteology Foundation? How do you feel now? I feel great. Uh, I did not feel to be a legend before and I don't feel to be a legend now. I just uh, feel that I, I am very comfortable sharing my experience uh, with you and of course with the Osteology Foundation uh, listeners. And in whatever I can be of assistance, uh, I am very happy. I'm very happy and uh, uh, now I am in a time of my career that uh, uh, I still have a lot of time ahead to continue my my academic uh, life, but uh, I take things with uh, more distance and uh, with more relax, I would say, because of uh, gathering a, a good team around you, I think is the secret of success. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Mariano. For me, it's the same. You have, for me, 
but just the other way around. You have been a legend for me before we have started the interview, and you still are a big legend for me. <laughs> and with this, thank you very much for this very sympathetic and friendly interview. And to the audience, thank you for listening to, and uh, I'd like to thank the whole organization for making this happen. Thank you a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.